0: Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FHP Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at FHPlawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome to
1: another edition of FHP's. Business Law Podcast, and we've got a pretty interesting topic today, maybe a, an uncomfortable topic a bit, but uh, with me is uh, Tanveer. Welcome, Tanveer.
0: Thank you. How are you doing, Clay?
1: I'm doing great. I'm Clay Williams, and uh, so our somewhat uncomfortable topic for today is that of collections. You know, one of the unfortunate realities of being in business is that sometimes you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. We try and minimize that. And we, you know, we'll urge you as, as, as your lawyers to make sure you've got good contracts and to get paid up front when you can. And you know, there's just times when it doesn't work out and you end up with a, with a receivable. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do we do when we get that call?
0: I'm not sure Clay, cause all of my clients get paid
1: that's really uh, curious uh, cuz i know that sometimes they don't pay you so well, that's one <laughs> so, so they i guess they're they're paying every or getting paid by everybody else but yeah. uh, <laughs> But in any event, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, what we mean by collections. I I kind of, in my mind, I think of this as uh, just a bill that that isn't paid, you know, rather than a contractual dispute. Like, you know, oftentimes Mm. our clients are going to get involved with issues. They're going to sell a product or provide a service and they're going to get some kickback on it uh, along the lines of, you didn't provide me with the right product or your service wasn't up to snuff. And and those are a little different. And now we're not
0: going to pay. And
1: we're not going to pay. Instead of that, you're getting, uh, well, we're just not going to pay, Mm -hmm. or you're not getting any responses at all. That's kind of more of the collections I I wanted to talk about today.
0: One of the first things we do when we have calls like this is we we start with what the claim is over. A lot of people might not know, and I think some of our clients know, but if you have a claim that's below $35,000, then you can proceed Through a different basis um, through the small claims court. So, we'll figure out first if it's worth it for you to retain counsel on your behalf to do the next step. There's also the option to go through collections companies, there's tons of those as well. So, really, the first step we're going to do is assess whether this. Claim that um, a business has is worth it for us to step in and charge our legal fees and open a file and get going on it.
1: Yeah, there has to be some proportionality. Certainly yeah. there if we're going to be charging, we need to know that there's a reasonable expectation that uh, that our clients are, are going to get some mm-hmm. value for their money. For sure. And now, now that
0: I think about it, I actually did have calls at, like when COVID was quite bad, of a lot of vendors saying we're just we haven't gotten paid for this this and the other because. XYZ event was cancelled but we've provided services up to this point so we should be paid a certain amount but we haven't been paid anything but it was just always too low for me to ever move forward with it so it was always a small claims sort of situation or a collection situation
1: well and and let's talk about that, so you know if, if you're looking at, uh, at at being owed an amount uh, that's you know a thousand or two thousand dollars, that's kind of tough for us as a law firm to mm-hmm. get involved because we we're not cheap, so that might be something we, we might suggest that uh, a person go and, and use a CRT on their own or, or go to a collections company. but you know when we get over that, you know I think it's important that we talk about the different levels of service we can provide, yeah and what we call that is providing ad hoc legal services.
0: Yeah, and before you even get into ad hoc legal services, one of the things that we do is also match up certain cases with the lawyers that we have here. So there's um, managing partners, you know, founding partners, there's senior partners, then there's associates. And so there's certain cases that are going to be better suited to like a junior lawyer like me. On On the files where we are charging hourly rate, where the business might not be one where they can afford a senior lawyer, then we do look to sort of assign an appropriate lawyer on the case to it and then that way what like for example if I have a case I'm charging my hourly rate which is significantly lower than Clay's then I can touch base with Clay when I have questions and you know defer to him where I'm not sure what the next step is but in general it's a way for us to keep those legal fees low so the legal representation is still there and it's at a better cost for certain clients.
1: You know, and and, and not just lawyers. Uh, One of the things I'm having great success with is uh, using uh, paralegals as well. And uh, so we've got some really skilled paralegals and they come with a a lot less hourly charge. And uh, certainly when we get into talking about ad hoc legal services, that's another option as well.
0: Agreed, yeah.
1: So, what are ad hoc legal services? Well, you know, uh, if you've got a case and it looks like something that would be amenable to get into small claims court, uh, depending on your level of comfort, uh, your experience level as a business person, we can either take over the case and run the whole thing, that comes at a certain price level, Mm -hmm. or we can kind of provide some help behind the scenes. And uh, that's what I mean by ad hoc. We'll provide the services as you deem necessary. So we can help, say, with the pleading. So yeah. we can, you know, help with some of the things we're going to talk about or some of the ways to actually get paid. Yeah. But uh, we can certainly help, uh, you know, behind the scenes or, or jump in and out of a small claims lawsuit nowadays. That's actually encouraged mm-hmm. uh, because it helps people to get access to justice. Uh, you know, you, you know, get the, the full uh, expensive Cadillac service, but uh, you'll get some help.
0: Yeah, I've gone into court against a self-represented litigant, but you could tell they had someone helping but but not a representation in court with them but it can, it can be done. So.
1: Well, well, actually, that's help behind the scenes can be very important because I don't you know how many times do you go into court with a unrepresented litigant that is completely unorganized, yeah. but one that has had that help behind the scenes and knows how to present their case and what they're presenting. Boy, that, that case circles sure a
0: lot better. Yeah, definitely.
1: I'm surprised you went to court. Tell me about that. I used one, to. Once?
0: Like maybe. No, I thought you were a peer <laughs> solicitor. I Well, you know when you're articling, you have to, right? Ah, yes. And then in my first year, I did a little bit because I worked with a different firm in town, but maybe max of 10 court appearances.
1: So we used to have uh, a uh, lawyer here, who unfortunately he passed away, his name was John Hanna, and he was a pure solicitor, yeah. but his story was that uh, he was 100% uh, victorious by going to court, because <laughs> yeah. uh, he went to court once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I've never lost in court. Oh, <laughs> perfect, there you But go. not all those appearances were something that I could win and lose at, but to me, it was great, so it was a win. <laughs> Okay, so once we've decided that a case is is something we can help out on um, and we take it in, the first thing we're going to look at is what options are available for pre-judgment garnishment.
1: Yeah, pre-judgment garnishment is a procedure where we're allowed to, even before you start a claim or after you've started a claim but before you get judgment we're allowed to go and seize money in certain circumstances not wages but other than wages if we know where a person banks yeah so very often uh, we'll have a dispute where there will be say a series of checks or some payments made and we can identify a, uh, a debtor's bank account we can actually go in and seize that money mm-hmm. and it's not paid to uh, our client is paid into court but uh, it sure is a very Effective way of pushing towards a settlement.
0: Yeah, or getting money to sort of sit in court and not disappear.
1: Well, that's a good point. Yeah. But once that money's gone out of the uh, the debtor's bank account, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very often they're much more uh, amenable to settling. It's gone; it's out of their mind anyway. Yeah. Some of mean? the other things I guess we should talk about are are liens. Yeah. Uh, and there's all kinds of liens. Of course, the most famous lien is a builder's lien. Yeah. And uh, these
0: are ones that we're registering on title against property.
1: Uh, that's right that's yeah. right but what about possessory liens there's all kinds of liens that uh, might arise where a person actually has some collateral mm. um you know if you've got to work on a vehicle there's all kinds of exotic liens with uh, lumber and all kinds of stuff so we mm. might take a look at that as well
0: interesting lumber lien
1: yeah well you know when you're as old as me you see it all so uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> just caught on <laughs>
1: Uh, So um, in any event, then uh, if we're unable to actually garnish or or file a lien or or exert a lien, then we're going to look at moving it through the court process.
0: Yeah, to get a successful judgment. And most often... The problem is even if you go to court and you've received a judgment, that doesn't mean that that immediately leads to somebody paying up because a judgment's been provided. You often then have to look at post judgment garnishment to figure out now with your judgment, how do you get paid?
1: Oh, the most frustrating thing for clients is they, they go through the procedure and they get their judgment mm-hmm. and, and they, and they go, okay, well now what, how <laughs> come I haven't been paid? And, yeah. uh, you know, that's something that we'll look at right at the beginning too, is whether or not the, uh, the debtor actually has some assets, whether well, it's going to be worthwhile to pay us anything to yeah. go and get them. So get, and go even after if them.
0: they don't have assets readily sitting there and available, one of the post-judgment garnishment options is wages and we can try to garnish wages if we know where that person works and this is actually one of the cases I went to court on was post-judgment garnishment of wages and then we submitted our garnishment order to this lovely individual who worked at interior health and it was what the claim was over was buying and selling you know you can't buy and sell luxury vehicles over the border So this individual had bought a ton of luxury vehicles. We represented the luxury dealer. The vehicles were then sold into the United States and a profits made, they're more expensive out there. And it's actually in the contract when you buy certain vehicles here that you can't do that.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. And so
0: once you do that, I don't know how they found out, <laughs> but it's clear that they've been now sold into the States. And so then they can sue them for whatever amount, but this person didn't pay. So we garnished wages, submitted our order to Interior Health, and Interior Health garnished the wrong person. <laughs>
1: oh isn't that interesting oh how did that work out (laughs) not well
0: (laughs) they submitted the order and looked at the wrong name and you want to know whose name they submitted mine oh no they garnished you they garnished me but i don't work in interior health there's somebody at interior health with the same exact name So because my name was on the order as a lawyer, they just misread the order, googled Tanvir Gill. There appears to be a Tanvir Gill in Interior Health in all of the Interior Health region, and they garnished her wages. Oh, my
1: goodness. I hope she didn't lose her house.
0: She didn't lose her house, but I got... an unkind phone call. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was supposed to be you. I was like, no, it really wasn't. Oh, that's that's
1: <laughs> almost funny though. You should have gone out for lunch with her. That's, uh, so if Tanvir Gill is listening, uh, yeah. Tanvir Gill is very sorry that that happened.
0: I'm sorry we garnished your wages. <laughs> we got them back. <laughs>
1: Okay, so some of the other things we're going to uh, to look at uh, once you've got your judgment, and let's back up again because one of the things we didn't talk about was the first thing that happens in in a small claims lawsuit. Uh, if that's if we're dealing with cases up to thirty-five thousand, is a settlement conference. Usually, things do settle at a settlement conference, especially yeah. when there's you know it's it's just a matter of I don't have the money to pay you right now, or yeah. I'm just a jerk and I, I'm, I'm trying to reduce the amount that I have to pay you. So very often we're able to uh, to negotiate at the settlement conference. In fact, it's quite amazing how many do settle at the settlement conference, and generally the judges in that case will act as a mediator and do a good job of trying to get the parties come together and come to a resolution.
0: I think all lawyers are sort of ingrained with the idea, too, to try to settle prior to because of the whole access to justice issue. There's not enough lawyers. There's an, an insane amount of need for legal representation. So if every single case proceeds to court, that's a waste of court time. So if there's things that can be settled, um, I think lawyers are sort of you know pushed and encouraged to try to deal with matters in a settlement conference and a lot of people are going to know, like, JCC conferences and things like that so that we're keeping it out of court time and court, the costs are lower. Well,
1: I think it's really important that we keep our fees really up high then. Yes. So that uh, <laughs> that helps our, our clients to to know what it's going to cost to go to trial and so it'll help if your everybody fees, to settle.
0: If your fees <laughs> are going higher, you, my salary should increase as well. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. How much do you charge? Maybe we should be bumping bu- <laughs> that up as well. I long. don't know,
0: actually. I think I'm 225. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like a deal mm. to me. Yeah.
1: So uh, what we're going to look at, uh, at once we've got a judgment is well how to collect it and uh, so you know we've talked about uh, the, the garnishment you know another thing that's really handy from small claims court though is something called a payment hearing and so if you, and 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 if you can't find uh, uh, no if you don't know where the person works or you don't know well, there's a sum of money we can garnish or you know something we can seize then um, then it's really handy this hand- procedure where you you summon the person into court to they bring a you, their banking records and their work records and uh, and you go through that with the judge and get an order that they pay on a monthly basis as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you ask them to open up their wallet and show you their cards to see where they bank?
1: Absolutely.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Because anybody could just say, I don't have a bank account anyway. Well, <laughs> you know, but
1: I think, I think the judges in small claims court have seen it all. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they're usually they're, they're quite helpful. So at that stage, remember, there's, a, there's been a, a judgment. There's been a court order to pay. So there's not a lot of, of sympathy for people mm-hmm. that aren't paying. You better have a pretty good reason or you're going to end up paying something.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, one of the other things you can look at is seizing things.
0: Can you seize a share certificate in a minute book?
1: I think you can.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: Have you ever done it?
0: No, but I want to see it happen.
1: What you're looking at is, uh is there any value in getting this seizure? Because you're you're using a bailiff, and a bailiff wants to make sure yeah. they get paid. For the most part, you know, people walking around with uh, you know a car and you know household furnishings, you know uh, that, that's probably not worthwhile, mm-hmm. and it's probably exempt anyway because every person's got certain exemptions that they're allowed to have. So yeah. unless you can identify something of value that's quite a bit above the exemptions, it's it's, it's often not worthwhile. Yeah. Another way to do it is land. If a person has land, you can follow your judgment on the land. If they don't pay you, uh, proceed to sell the land.
0: Yeah. One of the things that you've talked a lot about now is being on the garnishing side, so somebody who's owed money. But then there's also the other side of those individuals or businesses that think they don't owe anything, so the ones being garnished. And we also get those calls. We also have those clients. They don't think that they owe anything.
1: Well, look at, and and often they don't, look at poor Tandre Gill. Yeah, exactly. Mistakes are made, (laughs) wrong people are sued, or there's actually, there are lots of cases which seem like a standard collection, but as it turns out, there's actually a a real dispute. And uh, sometimes you don't know that until you get into the action. So, and would you do
0: it. you take those on, or are those most of the time we're referring those to, over to our litigators at FHP?
1: For the most part, we're hooking most of these cases up with a, with a litigator. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if it's over $35,000, that's a, a different story. You're using the Supreme Court in that it, it's really not as easy to be self represented, it's harder to, to provide ad hoc advice, but then again. More money at issue, and I think it, it justifies our involvement a lot
0: more. Yeah.
1: Do you want to talk about what we can look for assets before we even start? Some of the things we can take a look at, like when we do our due when diligence. we're looking, yeah, doing yeah. our due diligence before we even start in action. You know, when do you talk basics. about some of the things that we can do.
0: So we would do um, a landowner search. We would do a PPSA search. We would search um, even Facebook and Instagram because those types of things will show you a lot about what people are doing. Um, so we use a lot of different avenues to figure out what somebody has.
1: You know, a court search. We court can get search, a pretty yeah. good idea if a, if a person is a real deadbeat, you know, or has been sued before as a, a serial litigator. So we'll we'll search the court registry as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if uh, if there's some land, uh, we feel pretty good about uh, starting the the lawsuit, that's for
0: sure. That was such a good overview of the topic. And like always, we're giving a very aerial, like 30,000 feet up idea of the topic. But I feel like we've covered a lot other than today's topic. We've done a few different business topics. So hopefully next week, we can have a bit of question and answer because we have some podcast listener questions rolling in might be a good time to answer those great idea think? Yeah. yeah let's do that for next week FHP lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com